Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on identity. Hey, good morning, Cross family. And I am really excited to uh, continue in our series that we've titled Identity. And if you've missed uh, any of the previous messages, you can uh, go to our website, thecrossloganville.org, and you can access uh, the first three messages that we've kind of laid out already. Now, we've established that identity is absolutely crucial for us in our journey. It's central to the gospel narrative that our identity must be established and founded, rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. And now let me say this. Most of us have been hurt. We've been hurt emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Every person I know has experienced setbacks, heartaches. And when we start to look at the pain uh, of life, pain and suffering is not a respecter of persons. When, even when you study the scripture, the Bible talks about how it rains on all of us. It rains on the just. It rains on the unjust. And so every person, because of sin, it disrupted everything, everyone. We're going to experience pain and suffering. And most people have no clue of how deep their wounds really are. So we never take steps forward toward healing and health. We fail to see and we never deal with the reality of the pain in our lives. We never deal with the hurt, the betrayal, the rejection, and even the anger in our lives. We're so stinking wounded at the core of who we are, most people suppress. And some of us have deep emotional and spiritual scars resulting from neglect, abuse, manipulation as a result of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Now, believe me, every family is dysfunctional in areas, but some have a lot of deep roots, if you will. Uh, it could be alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, divorce, the absence of a father or mother. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family with excessive anger or uh, there was just verbal and physical abuse that took place in your life. There's so many things that can absolutely crush an individual's heart. And as a result of all of the pain and suffering, for many of us, we end up with certain beliefs like these. And, and these are beliefs, uh, beliefs that people carry around, that God doesn't really care about me, or I'm just a worthless person, or something is wrong with me, or nobody will ever love me unconditionally. I'll never be able to change. I've been a failure all my life, or I guess I'm just jacked up and that's the way it's going to be, or if people really knew the real me, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And our problem deep down inside, and, and this is so crucial as we move toward our deeper identity in Christ. Our problem is we lack knowledge of objective truth. And we've established that we have to get to a place where we believe what God believes about us. We believe what God says to be true about us. I've seen this in so many people. When the light of the gospel finally comes on in our lives, we will discover that we have, 
all of us, we have tried to meet certain needs in our lives the wrong way. When the light of the gospel finally comes on and we start walking in the security of Christ, we all have to stop and go, you know what? For so much of my life, I tried to get my needs met on my own, and I, I didn't trust God. So the needs that we face in life are real, but we have tried them to meet these needs in self-seeking ways by not, by not including God to be the center and the source of everything that we do. Even David prayed in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my thoughts that are flooded with anxiety. See if there's anything offensive in my life and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Even David prayed, and I think that is a great prayer for every one of us to pray. God, would you please search me? Would you test me? Would you lead me? Would you expose me? Would you show me if there's any subtle forms of idolatry going on in my life? Lord, am I trusting anything other than you. Lord, I want to be exposed. And I would invite you into that prayer <clears throat> that David prayed in Psalm 139. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, our true fulfillment in life does not depend on ignoring or avoiding problems. But our ability to apply God's truth is absolutely crucial because God has offered us solutions to deal with our deepest problems. And I, I want you to find your significance and your worth and your value in Christ alone. So an accurate understanding of God's truth is the first step toward discovering true significance, true value, and true worth. And if there's anything, again, and I've made this statement, if you took one thread out of the fabric of my life that would cause me to unravel, it would be if you took away the Word of God and the principles and the truth of God's Word, my life would unravel. I've got to have God's truth. Even as we established last week, remember this, that Satan tempted Eve with questioning how true God was. It was like the enemy, the evil one, came at her and said, your, your God's holding out on you. And the evil one implied that Eve could have a greater significance or purpose or value by doing life apart from God. He convinced her that eating, eating the forbidden fruit would reveal more knowledge and give her a greater identity even allowing her to be like God. She was already made in the image of God. And so when Adam, the scripture says he gave to Adam who was also with her, it wasn't an isolated event. When they, when they bought the lie, what they actually did was they were like, we're going to trade the truth of what God says about us for a lie that the enemy is presenting to us. And people have been trading God's truth for lies forever. And one of the great tragedies that took place back in the garden was that man lost his secure status with God, and he began to struggle with feelings that led to arrogance, inadequacy, despair, insecurity. All these kind of things started flooding the human soul as a result of being separated by sin. And that's what we were born into. Man began to value the opinion of others more than he did the truths of God. 
And this robbed man of his true identity, and it launched him on this continual search for significance. It launched him uh, with this pursuit for purpose through accomplishments and through the approval of others. And so for so many people, that's where they live. It's all about accomplishments, and it's about how others approve them. But here's the thing. The person who lives only for the love and attention of others will never be satisfied. Despite our best efforts, we will never find lasting peace if we have to continue to to prove to others that we have worth and value. You're going to be dissatisfied and discontent. Now, As you dive into the scripture, here's another snag. The Bible teaches us that we live in a world of spiritual warfare, and Satan is out to destroy you, to damage you, to disrupt you in your faith. He wants to lead you into a life of defeat, to a life of depression. But we live in this world. We do not wage war as the world does. The enemy is out there, but greater is he who lives inside of me than he who is in the world. So living the abundant life in Christ is lived in a real world that has pain, rejection, and failure. But experiencing the abundant life that God offers us, we have to come to the realization that it does not mean that our lives will be problem-free. If anything, the deeper you press into the Lord and the more surrendered you become, the more the enemy is going to try to attack you. And I've seen that for the 35 years of my journey. Now, understand this. Secular psychologists in our day, they focus on self-worth. And their main goal, when you start to read all these self-help books and everything else, their main goal is all about you feeling good about yourself. But a biblical worldview, when we start to submit and surrender to the Lordship of Christ, it goes way beyond this limited perspective. So to have an accurate perception of ourselves, of God, and of others, it must be based on the truth of what God's Word says. An accurate biblical worldview will contain strength, but yet humility. It involves sorrow over sin, but yet joy over about forgiveness. You will have a deep sense of your need for God's grace, and then you'll have a sobering reality of what you truly deserve as a sinful person. Now, it's so true. When you embrace the gospel, it it is such a paradigm, if you will, uh, of perspective that God starts to bring. He goes, do you not realize you deserve hell? You're getting heaven. Do, do you not realize you deserve wrath, but I've extended grace and mercy, mercy to you? And so we live with this confidence, but yet with this humility. And I would encourage you, the hunger for having worth deep in our lives is God-given and can only be satisfied through a personal relationship with God. God created you in his image. So when we sit there and we contemplate, I just want to feel that I have worth. You have worth based on who made you, who redeemed you, and even God was kind enough to pour out his Holy Spirit to fill our lives with him. Ah, you have worth today. And don't buy the lie of the enemy. Now, here's a good 
this, this is so good news for us. This is the gospel. Man does not have to live lost. He doesn't have to live lost now, and he doesn't have to live lost into eternity. God has not given up on you today. He has brought us out of bondage, out of all the bondage to sin, the strongholds that the enemy had tied us up with, and he's brought us out of that through the sacrificial payment that Jesus made on the cross. So again, my hope is built on the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Thus the name of our church, the cross. That is where my hope and my security and the foundation of my belief is all centered on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Satan's grip and his reign and rule over our lives can be broken when we surrender to the Lord. We can be restored back into that secure relationship with Christ that gives us significance. And when we start to walk in that, it is not only for now, it's for eternity. You can live abundant life starting today through faith and repentance and surrender. We are his image carriers. And so when God says, hey man, you're new, you're set free, you're my child, you're, you're a joint heir of mine, I've justified and redeemed you, you're mine. I can walk with freedom today. One of the, one of the key verses for many of us uh, here, even at the cross, we've memorized this one, but it's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And it says, for by God's grace, which means God's favor that he's extended to you, you have been saved, which means you have been rescued from spiritual death, but you have been delivered to walk with God. I mean, everything that the enemy tried to bring against us, you have been saved by God's grace. And it's through faith. Faith is all about trusting God and pressing into God. This is not of yourselves. You couldn't pull it off. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works. No one can boast about it. God has graced you. God has blessed you. So, so here, here would be the thing. Are you trusting in your abilities today to earn God's acceptance? Or are you trusting in the finished work of the cross to give you new life? Memorize Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And then Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness of God, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of our deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy. And mercy is the compassion and kindness of God being extended to us when we're living in misery. So God extends mercy. God is willing to rescue, listen to me, all people. The invitation is for all people. The kindness of the Lord has appeared. It's not his will for any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, since the fall of man in the garden and since sin entered the equation, we have failed to turn to God for the truth about who we are. And, and, and I have people tell me all the time, I'm just, I, I just don't read the Bible that much. Why? It is so filled with hope and healing and help and purpose and identity. I mean, I don't want to listen to the news. 
I don't want to listen to other people. I want to hear what God has to say. And, and so for so many of us, we have looked in so many different places to try to find self-worth. And the reasoning is, oh, I am what others say I am. I find my value in their opinions. And when you live there, it leads to so much defeat. Here's something that amazes me. Think about this. It is amazing to me that we turn to others who have a perspective that's just as twisted and dark as our own to discover our, our worth. Why is it? We know that we have a depraved mind, but why is it that we turn to others who are they're just as twisted and dark and jacked up as we are, thinking that they're going to be able to bring us identity, worth, affirmation, approval. Ah, instead of turning horizontal, we've got to turn to the vertical. Our true value is not based on our behavior or the approval of others. Our identity, again, 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 let me repeat it. It's based on what God says about us to be true. Oh, I got to know the word. I want to know God's rhema sayings. So we must believe and we must walk by faith. Belief is this inward conviction and then faith is more of an outward action. But when I come to believe, I'll be persuaded to action. And, 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 and God is calling you to believe. Now, the difference between a wise man and a foolish person is their response to what they claim they already know. A wise man will act on what he hears, but a foolish man, even though they know what to do, they won't do it. And, and they're such a great separator. God has called us, be, be wise with your lives. Dive into Proverbs. Understand the wisdom of God. If any man likes wisdom, let him come. Then act on it. Do it. The problem is this, though. I, I do believe this. For so many people, as long as we have what we think to be acceptable options, we're not going to change. As long as there's other things that we can look at and go, well, that, that, that's an acceptable option. For some of us, we'll never repent and change. Where God is offering life and healing and restoration and redemption and all this, we go, well, I, I still think I can get my needs met apart from Christ. And one of my favorite teachings I've done here is just this contrast between living a wounded life and a broken life. But a wounded person, even though they will say they're broken, they're still wounded. They still have their solutions and their strategies and their agendas, and they're going to trust themselves or they're going to trust someone else. But a broken person reaches the place where they're like, I'm sick of me. I'm sick of turning to others. I've got to come to God. We become broken and spilled out. And so we, we reach that place where we surrender to the Lord and surrender our plans and everything. It's just, I don't, I don't want to try it on my, on my own anymore. So we must become broken before the Lord and trust God. We are where we're at today. Most of us are at where we're at today because of the dominating thoughts that we've allowed to occupy and control our minds. And, and here's where so many of us land. And Robert McGee wrote this in the search for significance. But here's where most of us land. We would say self-worth equals performance plus others' opinions. So we really do think that we've got to perform and then we've got to have others' approval of us. Satan deceives us 
From the time we're little, he deceives us into believing that our worth is all about how much we can do and our ability to please others. And if you're a people pleaser, oh, God bless you, you're exhausted today. If you're constantly needing everyone else to applaud you and like you, oh, man, you're living a fatiguing, exhausting life. But when we base our identity on personal success and others' opinions of us, it's all about us. It it really does turn us into living a narcissistic life. And when you start to live that way, here's the mindset you'll have. It will lead you to a I have to mentality. And I have to paralyzes you so much. I have to will create paralysis in the soul and the mind. But a person, but a person, but a person who is free to walk with Jesus, who is walking redeemed, who is believing what God says to be true about them, they have a I get to mentality. I get to worship God. I get to study. I get to pray. I get to ponder the truths of God. I get to fellowship with the others. I get to love my neighbor. I get to give. All of this is so crucial. Now, here's one of the things that Robert McGee talked about uh, in his book, The Search for Significance. And there are four basic uh, false beliefs that he laid out and their consequences. This is crucial. He talked about the performer. Now, a performer thinks this, I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. The fear of failure, being a perfectionist, this drive to have to succeed, even manipulation of others to achieve what I think is success. I will withdraw from uh, healthy risk. It, It is all about I've got to perform. I've got to be number one. I've got to get the trophy. And so many people that I meet are performers. They're posers. They present this image to others, but deep down inside, they're just so wounded and exhausted. They're constantly feeling like, man, they've got to perform. I've got to do. I've got to be the man. Man. That's a rough place to live. Then you've got those that he called the approval addicts. I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. And so they live with this fear of rejection. They try to uh, please other people at any cost. They're very, these people are overly sensitive to criticism. They, they're, they're very defensive style people. They will, re, they will start to withdraw Uh, if they feel like they're going to have any disapproval or rejection. And so if you're living a life of being like an, uh, you're you're addicted to approval, it's going to wear you out because you're constantly walking in. And if there's 100 people in the room and you feel like one of them uh, maybe doesn't like you, you're going to gravitate toward that one to try to get them to, to, to notice something about you or to say something kind. Oh, you can't live into that world of, of, of seeking the approval of others. Here's another one, the blamer. Here's what they, they think. Those who fail, including myself, we're unworthy of love, and we really do deserve punishment. The fear of punishment or punishing others drives who they are. Blaming others for personal failure It causes them to withdraw from God and withdraw from others. And deep down inside, man, they're they're afraid that they're going to fail. But when they do fail, 
it's always deflection and it's always blame. Go back to Genesis when Adam even said, God, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me. He blamed the horizontal and the vertical. And people that live with a blaming mindset, you're living in defeat. And then so many people live with a shame-based a narrative. I am what I am. I cannot change. I'm hopeless. And so these feelings of shame and hopelessness and I'm inferior and I'm insecure. I mean, it leads so many people to live just a passive life or even passive aggressive. And you lack creativity with your life because you feel like you're stuck and you gravitate toward isolation and you'll withdraw from others. And, and when I meet people that are living with a shame-based uh, narrative, they're not believing what God believes about them. They're, they're still believing that whatever that action or behavior was defines who they are. That's not true. Now, here are the four solutions to these false beliefs. And I, I want you to know these terms. I want you to know these phrases. And I want you to wrap, allow these to saturate your heart, but wrap your mind around these. The first word is justification. And, and this is such a powerful theological word. But it means that God has forgiven me of all my sin. He has granted me the righteousness of Christ and because of justification, I now have Christ's righteousness imputed to me or placed on me, and before God, I am fully pleasing to God. When we use the word, I have been justified, it doesn't mean, well, it's justified, never sinned. It's way deeper than that. It means that God looked at me and said, no, you've jacked it up, but I'm going to take all your sin. I'm, I'm going I'm to allow my son to carry all your sin on the cross, but I'm going to take his righteousness and I'm going to impute, apply his righteousness to you, and that's who you are. So positionally and even conditionally now, God looks and says, you're justified. You're totally righteous. Ah, oh, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and, 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 and look at your reflection and go, oh, you, dude, are righteous in God's sight. Here's a second word, reconciliation. We use that word oftentimes. But I was born into the world hostile toward God. I was spiritually dead, and I was at war with God, opposed in my own flesh patterns. I was, I, I was alienated from God. Because of sin, I had this separation and alienation with God. But I am now forgiven. I have now been brought into an intimate relationship with God. I am now, listen to this, totally accepted. That's what he says in Colossians 1. So reconciliation means God has reconciled us back to himself. You were born into the world center. You were distant. You were alienated. Sin separated. But when you placed your faith in Christ, oh, I justified you, and now I have reconciled you back to me. You belong to me, Tim. And if you've repented and placed your faith in Christ, wallow in that truth right now. Oh, I have been reconciled. Another strong word when you study a doctrine is the word propitiation. And it means this, because of Jesus' death on the cross, 
Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God once and for all. And because of what my beloved Savior has done on the cross, I am now deeply loved by God. When God looks at me, he goes, I purchased you. You're under the blood. When God looks at me, he sees me through the blood of Christ. He goes, you belong to me. And 1 John 2 uh, talks about that, about the propitiation of God. Oh, oh, he has purchased me and he loves me. And then the word regeneration. I have been regeneration, uh, regenerated. God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, says, Tim, you're a new creation. Every day you wake up, you're a new creation. You're not a better version of what you used to be. I am creating something new. I am a new and fresh God every day. And that's the reason, again, please, please, please memorize 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, and behold, all things become new. God loves you. God is for us. God desires to satisfy our deepest longings. And I want you to think about this. How much, have, how much of your life have you truly wasted by trying to get others to applaud you and approve you. <laughs> and it just doesn't work, right? I mean, you've allowed your worth and your value and even your purpose at times to be determined by how you think others see you and how others uh, perceive you. But when you base your worth and value on that, I'm telling you, the addiction to approval, you'll lean into to, to the blame game. You'll live with shame. It will cause you to constantly play defense. You'll never be free to authentically love God and love your neighbor. You won't be able to play offense. You won't be able to take the light of the gospel into the world. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, you've got to believe what God says to be true about you. The world we live in is filled with people that demand that we please them as a payoff, even for their approval and acceptance. Oh, you've got to jump through these hoops and do all this if I'm going to like you or love you or even show attention to you. Not, not playing the game. So the lie or the false belief is, again, I must be approved by certain people to feel good about myself. Come on. You've got to confront the lie. That is a lie from hell. Satan's been lying from the beginning. The fear of rejection. It, it, it drives us to a place where the inability to give or even receive love, it is so hindered and distorted. And you'll end up living life if, if you fall into that trap, like that Heisman Trophy uh, award where the stiff arm is out there and it's like, no, nah, I'm not going to let anybody get close to me. I don't want to get close to anybody. And we refuse to open up and reveal our heart or honest thoughts or even what our motive on something was. It's okay when you're starting to get in healthy community. I promise you right now, you'll feel freedom to share your heart, your soul, your mind, because you'll realize other people are just like you. They're the same kind of different as you are. And I'm telling you right now, so many people are living with despair. They have the absence of hope going on right now in their life, and they're afraid. They're, they're just living prisoners saying, I'm not wanted, I'm not valued, I'm not accepted. 
And we know that so many people are living in prisons today, just locked up. But when you start to live according to the life that Christ has called you to, and you start to live according to the promises of God's Word, it's going to radically change everything about you. You will not have this deep need of man to applaud you, to approve of you. You will say, that dude has a twisted, darkened view of life because of sin just like everyone else, and you'll start to walk in the freedom of who Jesus says you are. Let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up with you. And so my, my encouragement as we kind of wrap up our time today is that we would allow our attitudes and our actions not to be codependent upon others, but we would really allow our attitude, our mindset, let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ. Although he possessed equality, he became very humble. I pray that our attitude that drives our actions would be founded in who Jesus says we are. And that whatever you're going through today, if you've been living with this fear of failure and you feel like you've been living a life of, of really emotional and mental and spiritual incarceration, I pray that you would trust the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to break every chain inside of you. I pray that you would walk in the freedom of the Lord today and that you would believe that you're valued and that God is absolutely crazy about you. You are who God says you are. Who you are and whose you are will define so much of, of your narrative day in and day out. I am loved by God. God communicates to me, you're my child. You are reconciled. You are redeemed. You are justified. You are accepted by me, Tim. In Galatians 1.10, I would encourage you, ponder this. Because Paul wrote to those uh, believers in Galatia that were starting to be uh, pulled aside by Judaizers and stuff, and they were mixing the, the grace of the gospel with law and all this other stuff. And Paul boldly proclaims, am I now seeking the favor of man? Or am I seeking the favor of God? If I was striving to please man, I could not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And we're either going to try to seek the approval of man or we're going to seek our approval based on what God says about us. We cannot seek both. So I encourage you to pray with me in closing. Just say something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord, my Master, the ruler of my life. Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of trusting others. I repent of becoming a performer. I repent of thinking that I could bring something to the dance, even somewhat good deeds in my flesh to try to find life and find meaning and to find value. Lord, I repent of trusting me or anything else, and I place my faith and confidence in you. I receive your death on the cross as the complete payment for all my sin. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Lord, thank you for giving me new life. Lord, help me to grow in my understanding of your love. Help me to grow in my understanding of the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Lord, help me to honor you with my life. Lord, I surrender. 
I release, I press into you today, and Lord, I declare that my identity from this day forth will be established in Jesus and in him alone. We praise you in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.